Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did. What a kick. And the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown! In stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now, with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house, sideline! Pylon! Touchdown! And the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. Welcome into the Punt and Pass Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler, back at you with the Punt and Pass Pandemic Podcast. The Quarantine Chronicles continue, and we have had some great guests on this week. I really hope you have enjoyed them. Sam Schwartzstein, the former director of football operations of the XFL. Great talking to him and getting his story about how it all started, what he was able to achieve and accomplish, and the demise that the XFL faced in light of the current coronavirus pandemic. And then Pat Dye, founder and president of Sports Trust Advisors, a prominent NFL football agent. Obviously, the NFL draft is next week. Awesome talking with him, hearing how this has all affected players, agents, GMs, coaches, scouts, everybody in the NFL. Two great guests, two great conversations. I hope you enjoyed them as much as I did. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Punt and Pass and follow me as well at Drew Butler. And we are going to continue on with the football theme this week. Look, if you have listened to Punt and Pass seasons past, you are familiar with our guest today. It is none other than my dear friend, Ryan Skates. Ryan, obviously, is the publisher, author, raconteur of the Poor Man's Game Notes. If you're not a subscriber to the Poor Man's Game Notes newsletters, you have to do that. We will talk to Ryan on how you can look forward to that, hopefully, in the fall of 2020. He is a damn good Georgia Bulldog and really just a very bright guy when it comes to college athletics football in general, Georgia football specifically, and I am fired up to talk to him today, really just about where we are in this pandemic. There seems to be light at the end of the tunnel. When will sports return? What about college sports as well? Obviously, spring and uh, and winter sports, their seasons were canceled. People are looking towards the fall. Will we have football? What will it look like? What are the ramifications of pushing athletes back into sport? while they're not getting paid among a global health crisis. And then I want to ask him really just what fan sentiment is. Did he renew his season tickets at Georgia? Will he be inside Sanford Stadium if there is not a vaccine this fall, which it seems like they're most likely will not be. I'm fired up because Ryan knows a lot, loves to chat. We're going to have a spirited debate about all things coronavirus, all things college athletics, all things football. I think it'll be enlightening. I think it'll be refreshing, and I am looking forward 
to it. Follow Ryan at Ryan Skates. Follow the Poor Man's Game Notes at PMGN on Twitter and Instagram, at Poor Man's Game Notes on Instagram as well. One of my favorite guys to talk to. Let's cut to the chase. Let's get right to it. Here is our guest on today's Quarantine Chronicles from the Poor Man's Game Notes, Ryan Skates. Let's do it. Our guest today on the Quarantine Chronicles, the Punt and Pass Pandemic Podcast. I called him a raconteur in my intro of this episode. That's exactly what he is. He is the publisher, the author of the Poor Man's Game Notes, a damn good Georgia Bulldog, my good buddy, Ryan Skates. Ryan, thank you so much for taking some time to join me on the Quarantine Chronicles. First things first, how are you? How's the family? How are you dealing with everything going on right now? Oh, thanks for having me, Drew. Uh, we're doing well. Um, we're very fortunate. You know, a lot of people are hurting right now, and uh, that is in mind for us. But uh, we are hunkered down in our house together, you know, cooking at home, playing board games, listening to music, trying to make the best of a tough situation, and, uh, and, and keeping up with friends, getting a little lonely. Yeah, I, I hear that, my man. It's uh, it's reaching the point now where you're kind of getting into the groove of, of, of being used to Groundhog Day, I guess. You're cooking every night. You're hanging around the family, kind of getting into the routine of not leaving the house. So I guess we're at that point in quarantine. Be sure to follow Ryan on Twitter, at Ryan Skates, a great follow for sure. And then check out the Poor Man's Game Notes as well on Twitter and Instagram, at poor man's game notes ryan the reason i wanted to have you on today is one i always appreciate your opinion and your insight really on anything that's why i love to follow you i love to chat with you but specifically and in this week on the quarantine chronicles we've been talking a lot about football we had sam schwartzstein on who is the director of football operations for the now defunct xfl we had pat die jr on prominent sports agent who obviously is getting ready for the nfl draft next week um the virtual draft if you will see how that goes he had a lot of great stuff to say but you specifically have your ear to the ground when it comes to college football college athletics what is happening from a fan sentiment as well you really have the pulse of the nation when it comes to georgia football i truly believe that within the last four days or so it seems like there is possibly a light at the end of the tunnel i mean President Trump just yesterday appointed a committee with some sports commissioners on saying we're trying to get back to sports. How will that look? We don't know. The PGA Tour today said mid-June we're going to have the Colonial. How will that look? Well, we don't know yet. I guess my biggest question to you, Ryan, is are we going to get sports back? What's it going to look like? Let's start that discussion right there. Um, Well, okay, first off, I really appreciate uh, you mentioning me in the same uh, feel in front of your other guests. I, I'm not, nobody special. I have zero special insight. I'm just a guy with three pairs of doctors. Uh, but I'm happy to speak for other guys with three pairs of doctors and what they might think. Um, yeah, I definitely think sports are going to come back, but it, it's going to be totally different. Um, there's definitely this feeling amongst a lot of people like, what, what do we need to do to get back to how life was in December of 2019 last fall? And I don't think people have internalized that those days are truly over. This you is think so? A, this, I absolutely do. This is a, you know, just like before 9-11 and after 9-11, the way we live life changed. Before the 2008 crisis and after the 2008 crisis, the way we live life changed. Those are just things that have happened maybe in the millennial timeline. Mm-hmm. This may be the most disruptive event to happen in our lifetime as far as how we operate. And I think we're going to see that 
in terms of sports specifically, the allure of going to a crowded sporting event, which you know, the crowd used to be part of the draw, um, just to be a part of a mass of humanity cheering and going crazy. That suddenly, the, the character of that experience has completely changed, and that is not going to be different when the governor or, or Trump or whoever says you can go out and live your life again. Um, so I think, I, you know, it's going to be a brave new world as far as attending sporting events is. You know, I my wife is on the exact same page as you, and I guess I don't know if I'm an eternal optimist. I don't know if I look back at history and say we've dealt with these things before and we've come out on the other side fairly well. Obviously, there will be changes, right? Sweeping changes, drastic changes that we will have to deal with moving forward. But at this point, I am just not so sure that we will not have big sporting events, big concerts, festivals, movie theaters, whatever – Sooner rather than later. And when I say sooner, I mean I would think that we will have some sort of fan interaction by the end of the calendar year in 2020. I mean you and I are both not epidemiologists. We're not virologists by any means. I think everybody is taking in just about the same amount of information, whether it be positive or negative, that you can possibly consume. But I don't know. I I just have a feeling that for whatever reason – and I think at the beginning for sure, Ryan – There will be no fans, right? Golf specifically. At the Colonial, if it does happen in the middle of June, there will not be fans out there. But everybody likes to watch golf on TV, so they're pretty well positioned. They're in a big open park. They can social distance, get a couple of camera crews out there, and make it happen. We talked to Dr. Destin Hill last week. A team physician works with the Cardinals, the Diamondbacks, and the Phoenix Suns out in Arizona. And he kind of mentioned how it's going to be tough to wrangle up some NBA players who may be out of the country. How do you monitor them? Are they going to be able to see their families? Baseball, on the other hand, they cut out spring training right then. And all the teams are either in Arizona or Florida. Where are all those guys at? What do you think the first major pro sports league to return will be Dr. Destin Hill seemed like he thought it would be baseball. I think these teams are going to get back in action probably before summer ends as well. Maybe. Yeah, I know it's an easy, easy answer. Um, I think golf is best positioned to come back just because the uh, in-person experience is not the main draw of watching a golf tournament. You know, If you go to the Masters on Sunday – about telling you it was a lot of fun, but man, I wish I could have seen that on TV. Yeah, as a TV product, um, and it, it's a very spread out product. Golf is a, a sport that people are still able to play through all this. So I see uh, golf being able to come back uh, easier than something that happens in an enclosed environment like baseball or basketball or something like that. What are your thoughts on the NFL kind of continuing business as usual right now? Obviously, they have made the necessary changes. All facilities are closed. Everything's being done virtually. Um, They caught a ton of flack by starting free agency on time. Pat Dye Jr. mentioned he didn't think it was going to start on time because they had no communication. Agents were told 24 hours before the communication period that it was going on as planned. Obviously, looking back, it was a great move. And now the draft next week, totally virtual draft. Yes, they'll try to make it into a TV product. Do you think the NFL, and I guess this is how we can kind of segue into college football because they haven't made any decisions yet either. Do you think that they are positioned to return in the fall? And do you agree with them kind of continuing with business as we still have four months to go before kind of foot meets leather? I think um, yes and no, okay? So yes, are they positioned to return in the fall? 
yeah, the NFL is a behemoth. They can do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. Um, I have no doubt that if they were to start the season with a week's notice and open the um, stadiums up to fans, that people would show up and that they would um, be in a position to be able to pull that off. Okay, yes, they could, but should they? And my answer to that is no, absolutely not. Um, there's two big questions that come up um, that I think everybody, you know, as a, as a citizen or as a patron of these sporting uh, leagues should be thinking about as these decisions are being made, whether it's by the NFL, Major League Baseball, PGA, um, or the NCAA or individual NCAA schools. And those two questions are, you know, one, what responsibility do these leagues or teams have to the public not to exacerbate the pandemic with a large-scale in-person event? And then two, at what point will the financial need or temptation to have those events outweigh that responsibility? Mm -hmm. And that's a different um, two-pronged analysis for each league. I mean, you asked if there would be, you know, in-person fan experiences. I'm sure somebody out there who doesn't have a lot to lose would probably step into the marketplace as, um, you know, offering some kind of fan experience uh, at some point. It might not be the NFL because they would have massive downside liability, but maybe it could be a bunch of guys who that's their only way of making a living, and they come up with some, you know, Facebook Live football product and mm-hmm. people could come to that. I mean, this is me just making something up right now. But as far as these big institutions, things that are part of American culture, I I would argue they have a responsibility to the public to not have these events. And that might sound crazy, but in Europe, there was this game zero. It was, I think, an Atlanta uh, soccer game. Yeah, the, champ- the Champions League game. That's correct. In Milan. Which yeah, and that exacerbated the problem in northern Italy, and obviously northern Italy is a poster child for um, how dangerous and scary this virus can be. And then on a more local level, here in Georgia, there were two funerals in Albany. Albany has the second most amount, or the county that Albany is in, Dowdy County, has the second most amount of COVID deaths in the state of Georgia. Um, so that's more than Cobb County or Gwinnett County, more than every county but Fulton. And all those deaths have been traced back to two small-scale funerals. So if two small funerals in Albany can wreak the kind of havoc that they've seen in that community where the hospitals are full, people can't get access to health care for other critical needs they might be having because the hospitals are full dealing with this um, outbreak of COVID there, what could something like a Georgia football game in Athens do where people come from all over the state and go to a football game and then go home or maybe a Georgia Florida game in Jacksonville where you have people from two states all going to a new site and then going back home and possibly commingling this virus around everybody else. I know those are doomsday scenarios. Those aren't scenarios that anybody wants to happen, but I do believe that these leagues have responsibilities to protect the public from, you know, these possible worst case scenarios. So I don't think that these large scale events should be coming back before there's a vaccine or some kind of very effective treatment for this um, that can bring the mortality rate down 
significantly. Yeah, I mean, that, that seems like the best way to get everybody's mind at ease. I mean, whether you are an anti-vaxxer or not, people have said that if they develop a vaccine, most would take it. That would certainly create that herd immunity or the ability to get a vaccine and drastically reduce your chances of contracting the disease. But, Ryan, you mentioned about the responsibility of these institutions, these leagues, parts of American culture to take care of the public. What about the flip side of that? And and let's kind of turn our attention to college football. What about the responsibility of these institutions from a revenue standpoint, from a financial well-being standpoint, of continuing business to keep said institutions afloat? I mean, just yesterday or this morning, I forget, we heard that the University of Cincinnati – cut out their men's soccer program because they know from a financial standpoint it's not going to be liable moving forward. If you follow social media, if you follow sports media at all, you saw the charts a couple of weeks ago going out that broke down just how much revenue football alone brings to just about every single athletic department in the nation. If there is no football this fall, Athletic associations and schools in general will be in such dire straits that I think that their responsibility to American culture is to play the game. Maybe it looks different. Maybe there are no fans. Maybe it's just family only. But, man, if we don't have football this fall, Ryan, it could be a total collapse of the system. And I I think that's exactly what we're in for. Um, And as a – as somebody who's very invested in college football and somebody who has, it's been a huge part of my life um, and, you know, everything from being together with family and sharing time with people as you're watching a college football game and all these intangible things that make us love college football. Um, I think college football specifically is, is prone to be disrupted unlike any other sporting event in the United States. Why do you and say that? I, I wanna, why, yeah, I want to know why you say that college football specifically is the one sport in American culture that is going to be disrupted most by coronavirus pandemic. Well, um, because every other league operates as a business, right? Even though there's 501 C3s, the NFL is out there to make business decisions. It yeah. is an entertainment league. So is Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer. Nobody makes any bones about that. You know, if it makes money, they'll continue to participate in those behaviors. And if it doesn't make money, they're not going to be going out of their way um, to preserve some kind of product that doesn't make money. I'm trying to think of an example, but that's that's what I mean. College football is completely different because it, in all, for all respects, practically, it is a business. But it has to operate under the illusion that it's not a business. Yes. It wasn't always like that, obviously. Um, and if you're maybe somebody who's about our age or older, you can remember a time when Georgia football was, or college football, especially SEC football, was a regional kind of eccentricity, right? It, it had its little charms. I don't know if you can imagine now going through a Georgia football season and only three games being on television. But when we were kids, three games being on TV would have been a big deal. It's how you got these great radio voices like Larry Munson and John Ward at Tennessee, um, where people became uh, attached to school because of this identity they felt with it. And then as television got bigger, the schools found out how to monetize that. And it grew out of being this kind of maybe organic, fun, community-building thing to being a, a huge business. 
And then the athletic departments started to craft these massive collegiate sports enterprises around the college football and um, it, and started subsidizing things that don't make money, things that any business would not otherwise be doing. They would be doing, whether it's starting an equestrian team to satisfy Title IX requirements or having, you know, really ostentatious advertising um, in the stadiums to, free, you know, to, to generate profits, whatever it might be. This became a hybrid of something that was an amateur sport run like a professional sport. When this money dries up, which it is going to be drying up in college football, you're going to see a collapse of that whole system. Um, and what is going to come next, I mean, who knows? It's going to be the wild west. There's going to be a lot of opportunity for different people to come up with different ways to structure collegiate athletics in the wake of all this. But one thing I think is clear um, is that college football cannot continue to exist the way it exists today in, in, in how it produces revenue and then distributes that revenue um, for its different initiatives. When I say college football, I mean all college sports. I mean, it's going to be very hard to justify funding a college softball team after this with revenue that's produced by college football. And why is that? It's because maybe you have a better understanding of the risk that a college football player might have performing um, under these circumstances before there's a vaccine. There's going to be all kinds of moral questions that come up with the decision to move forward with this you know, in this environment, um, if I've, I've been talking so much, I've twisted myself around, but there's going, be so, there's going to be so many moral questions with moving forward in this environment before there's a cure. And the only reason that anybody would do this is to preserve the status quo. So, I mean, yeah. it, it becomes both of these things can't stand at the same time. But I, I, I think you just hit the nail on the head to preserve the status quo. And, and somebody who is near and dear to me once told me that the NCAA is the perfect marriage of capitalism and communism, and it's so true. And I think it's about to rear its ugly head, like you said, to preserve the status quo. When you hear head coaches, football coaches like Mike Gundy and Dabo Sweeney kind of fire off at the mouth last week saying, guys, we got to get back to work. I mean, we're America is what Dabo said. We're going to beat this thing. We're going to be just fine. Mike Gundy said – I've got young, healthy athletes. If one of them gets it, they'll shake it off. We'll plow ahead. It's time to get back to work. And I think as a former athlete, the players agree with the coaches. Ryan, these guys are 18 to 22 years old, okay? And if they are told by the universities, by public health officials, hey, guys, here's the deal. We've reached a point now. The curve is flattened. Herd immunity. We think with the correct testing protocol – we can get this thing back on track. Everybody's going to have to be monitored, and we can start football. 98% of them say, yep, we're good to go. And I think in in light of what happened to the March Madness tournament, when big-time schools like Duke sat there and go, you know what, we're not playing. Granted, it was in a much different time when everything was really ramping up. I think if Stanford football said, hey, guys, we're not going to play this season, I think the NCAA would kind of shake their heads and go, well, too bad for y'all because we're going to go ahead and play. There's way too much money to be lost by not having a football season, even though there is a world health crisis 
at hand. I think by that time, by late July, by August, by September, there will be opportunities for testing to be rapid, to be contained, and then you can get these guys in a room, get the trainers and the coaches, and move forward to preserve the status quo. I just don't see any other way that the NCAA is going to go about this. And and I guess that leads me to the next question. Will there be fans? Most likely not. You just mentioned it. Two, uh, Two funerals in Albany, Georgia, caused a humongous outbreak. Again, at the beginning of this entire thing, but what would 92,000 or even 70,000 on Labor Day Monday in Atlanta when Georgia plays Virginia, what would that do? Will we be at some sort of herd immunity at that point? I don't know. Will there be a vaccine at that point? Certainly not. But Ryan, I guess fan sentiment. I mean, did you renew your season tickets? Are you going to go to a game this fall if there's no vaccine? What do you think the general consensus is in that regard? Um. Okay, two things. I'm going, to answer, I'm going to retort to the point you just made before Please. I answer that question. Um, you're absolutely right. I completely understand the whole, you know, the athletes want to play and the coaches want the athletes to play. Who's to say the athletes can't play? Now, if you're in the NFL, I understand that a lot more than if you're in college. Because these, in the NFL, an athlete is technically, you know, an adult, a professional who is able to make informed decisions for themselves. Um, and understands the risks and rewards associated with uh, with playing or, or acting out their profession. But collegiate student athletes, I mean, the whole system and the whole justification for not paying them is built around this idea that a university is responsible for developing them yeah. into you know a, a complete person. So if they're under the care of the university, how can the school possibly justify sending players out solely for revenue purposes <laughs> if their primary goal is to ensure the health and well-being and, and development. academic development yeah. of the students. Um, it, it, you know, so that's when I say um, college football is prime for disruption. I mean, that compl- if that happens, that completely undermines the argument for um, amateurism and for these students not getting paid. Do you? But my question um, to I, you for that is: Does the public care? <laughs> I mean, because I hear you loud and clear, right? But I, I think the general public, Joe College football fans, going to sit there and go, "Hey, man, I've known this the whole time. I want to watch my dogs play." Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I don't think the public will care, but I don't know that the public matters. Yeah, I think who matters here are the players and some very smart attorneys who see an opportunity, you know, for a whole new market of agency revenue and, you know, everything that comes along with paying players. I think those are the people who, I mean, they already have Congress as you in terms of getting players paid for name and likeness, um, uh, name and likeness rights. Yeah. Um, I think that at that point, the contrast would be just so clear that it is obvious. The only reason these kids are playing is because, they are trying to keep a business enterprise alive for a nonprofit entity that is ostensibly there to run a school. I mean, just the you know the hypocrisy will be so glaring at that point <laughs> if they do it. Yeah. I mean, if if they do it, like you said, which I wouldn't be surprised to see them. I don't see a way you can't get around the paying the players argument. If they don't do it, I don't see a way where you're able to keep Title IX and all these other things in play and justify the exorbitant costs that are surrounding 
college football in general. So either way, that's what I mean. I say I think college football is it's headed for major disruption. When you, when you talk about paying the players, obviously a lot of people are familiar with what you're talking about, the Fair Pay to Play Act, uh, the name, image, and likeness rule change that's being developed and talked about right now. There's supposed to be a proposal by January of 2021. We'll see if that even happens now with everything going on. By all three divisions to figure out a way to allow student-athletes to benefit off their name, image, and likeness. Do you agree with that? Would that satisfy your pay-the-players argument, Ryan? Or do you think that everybody should get paid regardless of their production on the field? Um, No, I I think name, image, and likeness is a great first start. I don't think that everybody should be getting paid regardless of their position on the field. And to an extent, I do understand that players, you can say, are getting paid now. They do get college education. I mean, that it's not like they're doing this with zero consideration for their, um, for their efforts, but is that consideration sufficient or proportional to what they are able to bring into the university? And that translates translates into direct dollars for everybody from a strength coach to the athletic director and the existence of all kinds of mid-level management jobs in a athletic department. Um, I think, um, I think that they deserve more than, than what they're getting. Now, somebody like Jake Fromm sold a lot of Georgia football tickets yeah. to a Murray State game last year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the the whole thing with Jake Fromm maybe is a little more palatable because he came from a background that a lot of Georgia fans or alumni might be able to identify with. But there's a lot of players who don't come from those kind of backgrounds. Like Todd Gurley came from a destitute background. And then when he tried to make a little bit of extra money signing helmets, the university completely hung him out to dry. Yeah. Um, so it, I, I do think that um, that NIL, which would have been covered with Todd Gurley and A.J. Green suspensions, if you go back more years, um, I think that's a good first step. Uh, and I, I don't see how anybody in good conscience can argue against it. No, I, I think everybody's in agreement with it. I think there's just a lot of questions on how to go about it the correct way because you mentioned A.J. Green, who obviously got caught selling a jersey, Todd Gurley, who got caught selling a helmet or whatever, and how they got caught, like you said, yes, the university certainly did hang them out to dry, but that was for like such small dollars on the grand scheme of things. I think A.J. got a 1000 bucks. Right, Todd Gurley. Don't yeah. know how much he got. How do you? It was, hundreds, it was, it was hundreds, um, of <laughs> hundreds of dollars. How do you make sure that these guys are getting their fair value? Because when you talk about somebody like Jake Fromm or God forbid Joe Burrow last year at LSU, if you yeah. had him sign four jerseys for five hundred bucks, that is highway robbery. Will there be representation for these players? Probably not. Will the university have a responsibility to represent them and be able to say, hey, look, guys, Jake Fromm, Heisman uh, contention, national champion, you know, starting quarterback, played and won an SEC championship, one jersey is going to be 750 bucks, right? Like, how do they figure that out to make sure that these guys are getting their fair value because let me brag on myself here for a second. I did start my master's degree at the university of Georgia. That's right. Golf clap for me in sports management. Okay. And I did a project on the profitability of student athletes and in reality, how few there are. Okay. And when I say that, I mean, at any given university, there are five at most 
seven to ten student athletes across all sports who can legitimately generate revenue off their name, image, and likeness. I'll go back to Joe Burrow. DeAndre Swift last year at Georgia, certainly. Jake Fromm, no doubt. Okay, Anthony Edwards, basketball player, of course. Cam Newton, Tim Tebow, Johnny Manziel. I mean, you're talking about your premier sports center, college game day, front and center, March Madness MVP type players. There are very few and far between. So name, image, and likeness, yes, let those guys cash in. But if you're a second-string punter, okay, you don't deserve any money, and you're not going to get any money because you don't have any value with your name, image, or likeness. I just want to make sure that these guys are represented fairly, and they're getting their market value because that's where I see the biggest gray area, Ryan, is where a guy like Jake Fromm can send out a couple of tweets that say, hey, just had great Taqueria del Sol, love this place, when he gets five free meals for it, when he should be getting $5,000 for it. Uh, I, I completely agree with you. Um, yeah, on the on the downside as well as the upside. Um, as far as yeah, I don't think a second string punter should be getting any money for his name, image, and likeness. Um, yeah, that's that's completely ridiculous. Um, and unless he's just like you know some kind of fantastic cult hero. I mean, uh, I think <laughs> exactly. Hot Rod Hot Rod last year yep. probably had uh, nil value, name, image, and likeness value that far exceeded um, his actual value to the football team. But <laughs> no it doesn't doubt. mean he shouldn't have been able to cash in on. It. Yeah. Um, um, in any event, and I, I would be very, you know, the questions you raised about uh, agency and representation, I would be very much in favor of players being able to get outside agents. I mean, ultimately, that does make them an adversary to the university because every dollar that they get for NIL money could be argued that's a dollar that the university didn't get. Um, but, you know, the, the details of it, you know, will, will flesh out as the free market enters that space. I mean, whatever's most profitable, most efficient, um, you know, should come to rule today so long as these artificial barriers um, to keeping people from being compensated for their value are removed. And I, I think that NIL is a good step in that direction. We went off on a tangent there, but um, I appreciate you letting me stay my piece. No, no, I, I think you're right, though, because to your point, the spotlight is going to be put on college athletics and the revenue generation of football and how the athletes are not getting paid. And are they being taken advantage of as far as throwing them out onto a field for a product to make money, to keep these institutions upright, and they're not seeing a dollar of that outside of their room and board and education. Let's wrap this thing up, man. Fan sentiment. I asked you before, before we went on that tangent, hope everybody enjoyed that. Um, did you renew your season tickets? Are you frightful of there being no Georgia football this season? If there is, and if fans are allowed from November to the bowl games, will, will you be attending a game? Okay. I did not renew my season tickets. It was a harder decision uh, than I expected it to be. And did it have to, did it have to do with this? Uh, maybe a little bit, you know, there were several times last year where I'm like, I've never renewed my tickets. You know, I've probably said it a hundred times during the first half of the LSU game, uh, last year. But for us, you know, we've had season tickets for probably seven years now, and we rarely actually sit in those seats. And when we do sit in those seats, we found that our friends who have the seats around us rarely sit there either. It's, it's because we didn't have very good seats ultimately, but we would end up, you know, if it would be a big game, we might go on StubHub and pay a little extra to um, sit in better seats. And 
And we found that, you know, holding the tickets didn't have a lot of value. Um, and there was a day when that wasn't true, where if you wanted to buy tickets to a sold-out game, you know, you might have to go into the newspaper classifieds and start calling random numbers and coming up with sketchy ways to yeah. meet people at gas stations to do a ticket exchange. But now that's completely out the window. If you want to go to a football game, you can go to a football game. I mean, even though I had season tickets, I did not qualify for national championship tickets, which was probably the most in-demand um, ticket in the history of, of Georgia sports. And I would argue that was the peak of collegiate athletics. There will never be a more in-demand ticket uh, for anything related to do with, with Georgia football than there was for that game. Uh, and it was as easy for us as going on to StubHub and ordering a ticket you know, two hours before the game. So um, the, the value of, of having the season tickets um, really was, was not that great um, for us anymore. So uh, we decided to let the tickets go. Um, now, granted, like I said, they weren't great tickets, so it's not going to be a huge opportunity cost. Yeah. There. Anybody can go sit in Section 316. If, if we had Section <laughs> you know, 233 or something, it would be a different conversation. Um, then you asked about, uh, do I think we'll see college football this year, 2020? Um, you know, I would say we shouldn't. I don't see any um, – I don't see any – well, I think we shouldn't from a moral perspective. I don't see any way that you can pull it off in an equitable way before there's a vaccine or some kind of very effective treatment um, that can not only treat people who might be infected at the facility, but people who would be infected, infected second and third hand from people who went to the facility for the game and then go home and then they interact with other people. I feel like the university, especially being a public institution, has a duty to the public um, not to facilitate that kind of spread is the only way you can do that is through, um, you know, either very rigorous testing, which I do not think the university would be um, able or competent to do on such a large scale, or if there's a vaccine, there won't be a vaccine um, in year 2020 or, or some other kind of great treatment. Hydroxychloroquine, yep. as much as Trump might love it, is not going to be approved uh, by the FDA for use on this before 2020. You know, is there going to be uh, – a season in February, or uh, I, mean, I don't know. Um, the thing about this virus is it's not like a storm. It's not like, like okay, you know, two more weeks, this is going to be over. I mean, everybody's – the same amount of people are probably going to get this virus, whether or not we flatten the curve. It's all just a matter of when you're going to get it and when you get it, if there's going to be adequate healthcare resources so you have as good of a chance as anybody else. For sure. Um, so that's – um, and that's a harsh truth that a lot of people haven't come around to. Of course. But, uh, that's what we're looking at. And, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, uh, of course, I'm, I'm, that's so shocking even to say out loud. I forgot what I was even going to say. I've been talking too much. But uh, <laughs> Are you going to go to a I, game? I if, if fans see, are allowed, are you going to go to a game? I'm not interested in going to a game. Um, and to be fair, everybody knows I'm, a very, I'm very down on the dog right now. Not last <laughs> season, especially the South Carolina game. And then not even competing in the LSU game was just so soul-crushing for me um, after I had totally bought in and, and thought those days of underachieving were over. That was, a, that was tough. But no, I, you know, for example, that Virginia game, um, that that would be something I'd be all over in Atlanta. A lot of fans. Just another great school with people who we know who went there. Um, I have no desire to go sit in a stadium with seventy thousand other people to watch Georgia play. Um, you know, considering the possible risk that would come about uh, right now. Which maybe I'm being a little when I say that, but um, uh, the risk reward uh, 
it's just not there for me. No, I think I think a lot of people will be in the same boat with you, Ryan. And you know, you mentioned that Georgia Virginia game. I highly doubt fans will be allowed at that point. But what a great holiday weekend that would have been in Atlanta, Georgia. The tour championship has been rescheduled. It's supposed to be the final round that day in Atlanta. Then you could tailgate, head down the street. Go watch the dogs take on the Cavaliers. I mean, that would have been fantastic. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the game will be played. I just don't know what it's going to look like. I honestly think, in my heart of hearts, because of the things that we just talked about, right, following the status quo and being able to continue to hold these institutions upright from a revenue perspective, they need to play football. They need to do it on time. They have too much liability with the TV networks and advertisers to let this thing that is still four months away affect that amount of dollars. So who's going to be right? Who knows? Is there a right answer? Of course there isn't. Did we have an awesome conversation? Yes, we did. Ryan Skates, thank you so much, my man. I really appreciate your time. And you better hope, Ryan, that football starts because we need the poor man's game notes. We absolutely need that in our lives this fall. Well, right now, I'm very crestfallen that I'm not able to win uh, a member guest tournament this summer. Oh, my God, me too. Guest partner. Um, that's, uh, that's really a shame. I'm looking at the golf course now. I'm thinking of all the transfusions and oh, yes. $10 bills we'll be leaving with. Oh, yes. No doubt, my man. Well, hey, I really appreciate you. Stay safe with your family. Thanks for your time. Follow Ryan on Twitter, at Ryan Skates, and the Poor Man's Game Notes, at Poor Man's Game Notes. Ryan, take care, my man. I always enjoy talking to Ryan. Obviously, he's very well-versed in all things college football, all things college athletics, and I think he brought up a lot of really good points. I mean, we kind of got into the weeds there on amateurism, college football, really college athletics in general. What will it look like? What will the public perception be of an amateur sport being pushed back into play amidst a global health crisis while the athletes aren't getting paid. It's all for the dollar generation, and um, the athletes on the field will not be seeing any of it. I I asked him the simple question of will the public care? Will they care? I I don't know. I want you to tell me. Be sure to tweet me at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I am at Drew Butler. I want to know what you think. I want to know what you thought of my conversation with Ryan. You can reach Ryan at Ryan Skates and at the Poor Man's Game Notes. Poor Man's Game Notes obviously is a weekly newsletter centered around Georgia football throughout the fall. Hilarious, funny satire, very informative too. Um, really appreciate Ryan spending some time with us on today's Quarantine Chronicles. I'll be back. We're going to have some more great guests on later on this week. I really appreciate you listening. Rate, review, and subscribe. And until then, see you.